So welcome everyone to a special edition of the Immigrant's Journey podcast. Today we are coming at you with a very special guest, Philip Coffey, here to help us navigate finding employment in this tricky COVID situation. Philip is a senior HR professional with over 15 years private public multinational consultancy and IBEC advisory experience. Philip brings a wealth of knowledge in the field of strategic HR, mentoring, coaching, and career development. As part of the mentoring and career development programs, Philip has delivered training to over 500 mentors and mentees over the last five years. He has also lectured on the ILM, accredited masters in coaching and mentoring in the UK. Philip also has extensive experience of supporting professionals through executive and career coaching across every major industry sector. Philip, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Karen, for having me on. <laughs> well, first question I wanted to ask you is what motivated you to want to be a career coach? Yeah, I suppose in my various different roles um, throughout the last 10 or 15 years in the HR field, one of the most satisfying things has been seeing people um, gaining what they want in terms of a career success, whether that be people who are high performers or maybe someone at the middle ground or somebody who's struggling and then improves. Um, but I've seen the value of coaching and mentoring in different guises, been able to help in those regards. And, you know, that's really why I got involved in HR to make that sort of difference or to be able to be a conduit to help make a bit of difference to, in people's lives. So I've seen that and then kind of did my studies around the coaching field of things as well and got a bit of a broader perspective of outside the workplace and seeing kind of more life issues as well. So between those kind of two things and just seeing the value add that comes from coaching and mentoring, that's really kind of spurred me into that that space in the last number of years in particular. Excellent. And what's something that you love about your job? Yeah, I suppose it's um, that aspect of the variety and being able to help people in various different um, problems that might come their way. Um, you know, one of the things that, that's kind of exciting about being HR is being able to adapt and use use things from different kind of perspectives. And this current crisis, I suppose, is a good example of that, where you get hit with something out of the blue, but you in the HR role, you're kind of used to that, you know, kind of more of a, in a, in a mini way every week, there's just things like that, which aren't always the exact same problem as you got, might've got last month. So now is a kind of real challenge of uh, trying to use different skill sets and see what might be useful from your kind of background that could help from a leadership point of view, whether that be that, or uh, from a problem solving point of view to help uh, the organization or help employees navigate through these sort of difficult times. Yeah, it really sounds like something that you kind of constantly have to be on your toes and thinking on your feet, which is interesting, like it's challenging, but definitely sounds exciting. What What's something about your job that's interesting that people might not know? Yeah, I suppose in this kind of context as well, around looking at careers, one of the things that I would kind of say is that um, around all sorts of um, backgrounds and people at all different levels um, come across the, an element of an imposter syndrome with everybody, you know, and I think sometimes people look at the most successful people and just think, well, that comes easy to them. Uh, but I think a lot of the real successful people, it doesn't just fall into their lap. They put a lot of effort into it, probably do rely upon other mentors or coaches. If you look at the sporting world or entertainment world, anyone who's, who's been success successful has had other uh, people guiding them along the way. So 
I think um, bringing that down to a micro level and to all of us in our careers, one thing I would kind of suggest to people is to have a broad network of people that you can call upon, but you have to kind of build that and you have to um, do it in a kind of a two-way, mutual, mutually beneficial way. Um, so that's hopefully one of the things we'll get to talk about here. Um, but yeah, just that kind of general point, I think it's important to, for people to remember is that you can get really successful by actually applying yourself to various different things. It isn't a fluky stuff or a lucky stuff. It's um, people working really hard at something, having a proper goal and then trying to make proper steps to get towards it. And obviously at times we need uh, to talk to others to maybe further down that track to get a sense of how to overcome some of the barriers. But I think um, it's possible for people to, to reach very ambitious goals. Absolutely. And it's really about getting organized as well. And we are going to get into the granular details of that a little bit further along. But on the theme of your work, I also wanted to ask you, what's the most difficult aspect of your job? Yeah, I think so. It's one of the things in, in terms of being in a HR position, you're in a situation where, you know, you're called upon because you're getting more difficult scenarios that have arisen in an organization. And with, with people, it can be multifactored, I suppose. And you're trying to draw upon past experience to see what might be potentially the, the reason behind this and trying to unpick it. But one thing I kind of found that's kind of worked in that regard is um, you, you may get a lot of situations where there's it could be a lot of stress for somebody. For example, this COVID-19 situation will bring that up. Um, you will have issues where not everybody kind of gets along with each other, uh, situations like that. And depending how severe they are, there's, there's different ways and means of, of, of picking that. But uh, yeah, I suppose one of those things is that you have to maintain a professionalism about it and, and empathy around it. And it comes with the territory, but it does take a, a lot of effort, I suppose, to be able to navigate that, that in the correct way and be calm when other orders around you maybe are um, a little bit more stressed out because the situation, trying to get in people's shoes, trying to show a bit of um, understanding, I think really helps. And um, trying to listen to where they're coming from, listen to people's other, other people's perspectives, not to judge. And that's one of the good things as well as from doing a lot of study and work around coaching is it tries to get you to be non-judgmental. And I think it very much complements a career in HR if you can have that sort of attitude, because when people feel listened to and you can actually really listen to them, you can generally uh, sort things out. Um, and I think that's half the battle sometimes with situations. Absolutely. I have a friend of mine who has a really messed up situation at work where the general consensus in the company is that the HR is corrupt and you can't go to them with anything. And there's over 41 lawsuits against the company at the moment. So, yeah, that's really dysfunctional. It's um, <laughs> but it really is about getting conversations going with people when an issue arises. And like you said, offering that bit of empathy, because if you can let people feel heard and try to meet them halfway, it diffuses so many problems and it doesn't have to escalate to the point where you're going to get litigious. But it's just, yeah, think, things can derail. Yeah, one of the things you learn in HR is, yes, you have a set of rules, but if you always stick between black and white rules every single time, you're going to run into trouble because that's not the way people work and you have to listen uh, and work within the grey. And it's it's maybe like that kind of puzzle where they, the, the, the famous puzzle that that's done where there's a box and you have to try, try and draw on so many lines. Um, try the shape and to get it right you have to go outside the box and 
really that is HR in a nutshell. If you if you stay within the box the whole time, you aren't dealing with real people issues. Often there's there could be some one or two small things that's really the cause of a bigger issue, and it's unpicking that. And yeah, I think that's 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 always come become apparent uh, throughout my career that if if you do kind of actually go the extra mile and try and listen for that, you can kind of preempt a lot of problems. For sure. What are some key points that applicants have to cover in their CVs in order to get noticed? Like what type of CVs are being overlooked and what type of CVs get attention? Yeah, I think I suppose one of the things there will be um, a big factor in it is that when you looked, I would have had many years, I suppose, being on the side of being in a recruiter and obviously gone through situations where I'm helping people get roles. So I've seen things from both angles and obviously apply for roles myself directly. And, you know, I think a big part of this is actually looking at what you've done and trying to learn from each situation. But a, a major factor in it would be around CVs need to have key achievements within them, uh, rather than people just putting a kind of a copy and paste of their previous job description, which would look a little bit like duties and responsibilities. Um, really where you stand out is if you can show where you've delivered and that's by framing the under your different roles, your key achievements, and particularly tailoring it to the job description at hand. So you can just imagine you have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of a recruiter getting a hundred or two hundred applicants, um, broadly the same type of experience probably because of the what's been mandated in the job description to look for a, a general level of, of experience. But then when they see CVs that are quite tailored to the job and actually show key achievements where people have worked in similar type of roles and delivered, that's gonna definitely stand out. Um, so that's that's really hugely important. And people, I suppose, just, just don't take the time to tailor things enough. Uh, and that's where maybe they fall down. Absolutely. And I think sometimes people are just looking for a job. They're just looking for a paycheck. They're not looking for a career path. And I think that's when you often get these kind of like bulk CDs that all pretty much kind of look the same. And I suppose to an extent, there's a lot of people out there that they don't know what they want to do. Like for myself, I remember before I started university, I was just kind of going from job to job kind of aimless until I realized I actually don't have enough skills and knowledge to be able to do the kind of work that I find really interesting. And I realized that my only solution to that problem was getting third level education, which I did. So that's the other side of it as well. Sometimes you have to upgrade your skills in order to be able to offer value to a company on a level that you find interesting. So maybe going back to school is part of it as well. Yeah, like I think that's a really big factor in it is like uh, having it, taking yourself out of your own kind of shoes for a moment and just look upon the, the targets that you're looking for, the target company, where do they see value in? You know, what are they valuing in terms of the level that you're pitching at? And if you meet certain criteria in that, great, then you need to hone in on that. But if you're clearly missing certain gaps, then you need to work away in it. And then a big kind of pointer I would put out there, um, a tip for everybody really is to identify people who are doing what you want to be you know already and try and reach out to them and talk to them and rather than just say any jobs in your company actually get a kind of human connection get us get a conversation going find something on their linkedin that's that you know about them and um, some of the research i've done from guiding people through coaching or for myself as well and um, the linkedin route can be good obviously because it's so accessible to get connected with people but if you really want to get talking to people you may have to go down the route of finding their their email address and sending an email because people have their emails open monday to friday you know for eight or nine hours they're much more likely to respond to an email but the linkedin route will work as well for, for in a lot of cases 
But if you really want to get to be a master in terms of your particular discipline, get talking to people in, in the same field and you'll learn a ton and then be able to tailor yourself for particular roles in that area. How would you advise someone approach a person that they may be interested in making a connection with if they don't know them? When I was starting out, there was no LinkedIn 10, 15 years ago, so it's a little bit harder. You're you're maybe reaching out to people passed on through people you knew and through phone calls and giving numbers and that kind of stuff, or maybe within an organization. So I would still go back to those sort of basics, like you have a kind of an inner circle of people that you'd know who, could, who you could easily get an, a phone number off or you could get a referral. So whether that be, you know, your boyfriend or your girlfriend and their set of friends and passing on the message and saying, oh, that person works in that company and you really want to get um, speaking to them. You know, you can go through that kind of more informal inner circle very directly. And then if it's something in your circle, you don't really know people in the industry that you want to get into, you can use LinkedIn to find them quite uh, readily. Uh, and then it's a case of judging. You, you could fire off a message on a personalized connection request is always important because if I get 20 connection requests in a week, generally there'd only be one that's actually personalized at all that says why we should link up. Certainly if you want to get the notice of people or stand out from the crowd, sending a short little note with your connection request is important. And then from there, it's it's finding something within their LinkedIn profile or something you can find about them online that you have a commonality or even interest in asking to have a chat with them about their career path or their industry. And you will definitely stand out from the crowd because just, I would say, 5%, 10% of people are doing this. The other 90% are focusing a lot of their attention around jobs boards, online jobs boards and recruitment agencies, which I wouldn't neglect, but I think just too much emphasis on them. And that's where it becomes a bit soul-destroying applying for roles and not hearing anything back. Definitely. I've also had friends who, like, and I've gone through this myself, I've gone through periods where I was searching for a job for two, three months. And, you know, when once you pass month one and you get onto month two and you're at this every day, it does really get disheartening and you start to panic a bit. So that's, that's, ex- that's excellent advice. And, and like the, the corollary or, the, or just following on from that is like if you are out meeting people and obviously now we're, a lot of it's going to be online doing zoom calls or doing phone calls um you know you're gaining intelligence you're gaining knowledge from each conversation with people in the industry so when you do actually land the interview you want you're going to stand out much more better because you'll know what you're talking about the, the insider lingo i suppose and what the different organizations care about hopefully you'll hear from some of these people who the jobs you want they'll they'll tell you what their organizations actually value so then you can weave that into interview answers and also you can go back to your cv make your cv better because if um you know a particular company let's just take a tech company or something like that has certain strategy and you know the the individual you've spoken to or the individuals you've spoken to have come up with common themes you know then you need to go back to your cv and uh, uplift us with that kind of in, new, new date, data new information and then you're really crafting something very tailored every time you apply because you're building on the knowledge so what i'm saying there is is like you're gaining each time you have these conversations it's not just a conversation into thin air and the hugely important thing is to build a relationship, build trust, because you can't go straight away asking for a job or an interview. Nobody's going to do that for you if they don't build up any trust first. So building a kind of a mutual connection. And then after that, you can follow up with a little bit more of a direct kind of what next can we do to, to help kind of conversation. Yeah, definitely. How important are cover letters? Yeah, I think that that 
my kind of take on that would be that it can vary depending on companies and industries, but probably a good thing to be able to start crafting one anyway and to look upon um, generally what you may approach for the role you might target. Um, it, it is important both in the CV and the cover letter that they're tailored to the particular uh, role that's, that's there. That's always important. But you could start off with a skeleton or a bones that's there that kind of captures people's attention. You want to be thinking of addressing the pain points of the role that you're applying for making the, the language clear and easy to absorb. It is one of those things, a cover letter, where you do have, a, have to have a bash at it a few times and come back at the end to proofread it. So that's a really hugely important thing, um, almost like Career 101. If you don't have your documents looking in a real professional manner and proofread, they're, they're the first thing that will um, knock you out of the list. Um, yeah. You see very senior executives in times I would have been recruiting for big roles, some excellent CVs, and if someone comes back and finds um, an obvious kind of grammatical error that should have been picked up, they just they lose trust in it and uh, it can ruin a, a really great CV and a great, really great potential. Because think about it yourself, you're you're kind of doubting it now a little bit from the, from the start. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if the first impression is this person does not pay attention to detail, it really sets a bad first impression straight away. So you want to have that on point. So even something as simple as, as emailing your, your documents to yourself and having a read of it as if it was landing into your inbox and going, oh, that's that's out of sync or that's a, it doesn't sound right or that's not what I meant to say, you know. So doing that or getting somebody around in your family or somebody who you know is a hiring manager, ideally, like somebody in your network who you know is a manager already and does recruit showing them your document can be really good because they'll pick out the flaws that they kind of um, generally look out for yeah that's a great great idea what are some of the common obstacles that you see among job applicants yeah to kind of emphasize that point again that i won't uh, over elaborate on it again but it's that similar piece that i just see through that um, people who take the networking approach focus more like 80 percent of their time on the, on the networking approach building up a set of contacts in the industry in the in the role that they feel they want to target that's a way better spend of time than than currently i see a lot of people maybe put out 20 or 50 job applications and they only hear one or two times back whereas if you reach out to 50 people Generally, the stats I'm kind of finding is that 15 or 20 people will, will get on a call with you, which will lead to hopefully at least five or 10 leads for interviews down the road. And then you just need to convert one of them, basically. But um, you, know, you need to be thinking about, um, as you said at the start, I, I would imagine a lot of people do struggle with the piece around what do I want? That's a hugely important thing. So I think at the very start of this sort of process, when you're looking at, career, at your career, you do need to map out what you want. And that requires a bit of thinking time. I call it career intentions, like kind of putting down what your ideal job would be, what would the commute, what would be the salary bracket, what would be the industries, what would you love doing, why, like prove it to yourself, like, you know, you could say, I'd love to be in marketing, for example, and then look look back at your previous career or anything you've done in university to prove why you'd be really great for that. And then once you've kind of proven it to yourself, then you can go out and really shape your CV document, for example, or your cover letter or your interview preparation based upon that. But if you don't get that kind of intentions piece right first, I think that's where people really struggle because I often see people who could do four or five things great, but it's really like one or two things that you're best suited for. That's what you should be going after. 
Yeah, that's definitely true. I've tried a lot of different things throughout my life. Like I've tried, I've taken the course in uh, sound engineering and I really enjoyed learning it, but I realized I do not want to do this for a living. It's just way too much sitting in front of the computer and I like interacting with people and talking. So a lot of times you can try stuff and kind of by process of elimination, you just figure out what's not for you, even though you have the ability to do it. Like you said, what do you actually have a passion for? What do you enjoy doing? One or two things. And I think that's that's great to test those things out. Like that's perfect. Like uh, that's your way, true way of knowing. And then obviously another way of knowing is having some focused conversations with people in those potential industries or roles you might want to get into and actually hearing what the day in the life is like and then going back and reflecting, would I like that or not? And does it meet enough of the things I want? That is a really good idea. And I wish I had done that before I took the course for a year because it would have saved me a lot of time. But yeah, definitely. And I think people would be people would be surprised at how willing people are willing to talk to others and to discuss what they do, because most people don't get to discuss what they do because they're either doing it or they're at home with their family and friends and they're not talking about work. But very few people show interest in the career of their friends, which is kind of interesting. Like we we all know we all think we know our friends, but there's like this whole area of their life that we're really not knowledgeable on at all. because We don't ask. Yeah. Some, sometimes it kind of reminds me of the the famous TV show Friends and everybody joking, not really knowing where Chandler Bing. Yes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, don't really know. But that's what I was talking about in terms of the, your inner circle. You'd be amazed. And particularly in Ireland, it's not 66 degrees of separation. It's two degrees, probably. You're just so close to links. So it's it you, you do have a circle around you that could really point you in the right direction so it's just about if you don't put your your neck out there you won't get what you want you kind of have to um dip the toes in the water really and uh it's not personal if people don't get back to you you know it's usually that you're just busy that's what i kind of find even myself trying to do networking um and sometimes people will almost uh, you know not in a kind of an arrogant way but they, they may want to get back but if you ping them again five days later i think five days is a good rule of thumb you know just to leave the gaps so you're not hounding someone they usually go oh yeah i remember to get back to i wanted to get back to you but i just forgot and they're more than happy to try and set something up and you know we're talking about a, a half an hour call or whatever it's not a huge huge ask and if you're going in with the right intentions of i want to build a long-term connection with this person i'm not trying to just use them for a quick win in terms of a job interview it will build organically, is my experience, into leads, into referrals, into, oh, we're doing this, can we share that with you? And then you, similarly, as the job seeker, you may have some knowledge or something you've learned in your university course and you can share with the person you're networking with. And if you keep doing that, then that's trust. Like, that's how we humans, I suppose, got along. We trusted each other to do one or two different things and we shared and grew from there. Absolutely. It's great advice there. So how do you go about achieving your goals? What's the process that you use? Because I think a lot of people are good at coming up with ideas, but when it comes to execution, that's where people stumble. Yeah, I think one of the good things there is like uh, the Simon Sinek, uh, he's had, had a book, I'm not sure of the right pronunciation, but, uh, you know, the, the I'll hold this piece around, you know, your why, you know, so for me, it's about, you know, I need to have a purpose. I need to know that the, the doing of this particular project 
what's it going to deliver? Is it going to be good for the organization? Is it going to be um, helpful for me in terms of my CV? After a period of time, like I'm kind of 15 years since the career, sometimes now I'd be a little bit more discerning and go, well, I've done that before. So trying to do something exactly the same mightn't be, be the best use of time. But then again, if I've seen something that really needs to be done for the organization, I'll do something again that I've already know, I, know I've done. But I always try and put a kind of a stretch each year for myself to do two or three things that are new and push the boat out there and you know in a, in a kind of a sensible way take some risks like that was kind of some good good piece of advice i got earlier in my career is that you can keep going on and playing it safe but you know you're not really gonna uh, change things that much but you have to take some sort of controlled risks um to push the envelope a little bit not it because just because not everybody spots some gap if you spotted it and you have a bit of data and have a bit of verification that's the right way to go like put your put your neck out there and try and go with it. Go get a project plan, and um, I think a huge part of this is putting realistic deadlines to to a project plan, factoring in the different resources you need. And some of the best projects that you do in your career, and that's what I would stand over, is I always had help from others. You know, I always got others involved, others passionate about it as well. Tap into the people who are willing to come with you on it. And uh, that will really keep you on track because you can't do really big projects on your own. Correct. Yeah, I'm, like I'm trying to get myself organized as I think about the future, like I'm in my final semester of university and going forward. So I've put together this plan. It's called day to yearly plan. So I have things that I need to achieve every day in order to reach my weekly task. So I basically reverse engineer from what I want to get by the end of the year, the things that I need to do every month every week and every day. And if I'm not hitting my tar- my weekly targets, I'm obviously not going to hit my monthly targets and then I'm obviously not going to hit my yearly target. So it's a method that allows me to like recalibrate and catch my own mistakes. And I also have an accountability partner who I'm going to be ringing once a week to make sure that I'm on track. And I think that piece that you said at the end about bringing other people on board with your goals that's really important because when you don't have anybody that you're accountable to, it's so easy to just fob stuff off and get lost and end up doing other things that you don't intend to do. Yeah, I think that's really important and kind of um, natu- in a kind of a natural way. There's a few people around me who I would really value their opinions and things like that. And they are the ones that will friendly in a friendly way or a nice way will catch you out and kind of say, oh, well, you were talking about that two weeks ago like what's happening there like so if you have a trust with somebody and that's why coaching and mentoring can be so good is that you can build up a trust with somebody else who um you know can, can sort of um in a in a conducive in a positive way um i wouldn't say call you out directly and it's in a negative you know to put you down but it's more that they'll shine a light and go uh there is a barrier there clearly to, to getting something done and they can talk you talk around with you to get you through that so you, you could more formally have that a coach or a mentor but you could informally have some people that you or go to people and that's a great point that you made about an accountability partner if you say you're going to do some sort of project and you tell someone you're going to do it a they might kind of throw in help you in bits but b is they'll hold you to it to a degree and every time you're talking about it they'll they'll be supportive and be able to give a bit of advice and steer on us as well exactly and the other thing i would advise people is invite feedback if you have people in your life that whose opinion you value and trust get their input on what you're up to because you can only see what you can see somebody else is going to have a different angle and it could be so useful like even for like myself and doing this whole podcasting thing getting people's feedback is always invaluable and sometimes people are shy about it because they're like oh i don't want to you know hear negative 
something, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's negative. Constructive criticism is useful. If you're doing something poorly, you should want to know that you're doing it poorly so you can figure out how to do it better. And (laughs) totally agree. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's it. You, You can't really learn unless you get feedback. And often it's said in the kind of performance management literature or what you hear commonly from people is they want ongoing feedback and you know that they don't want to have something stored up for months and end and then you tell them they go i'd rather would have known at the time than i could have done something about it so, uh, you know and i suppose one thing one tiny caveat i'd have there is like getting good suede or good grouping of opinions so there could be some people who are just trying to do you down and uh, be negative so getting a broad selection of opinions is useful particularly in something big because then you can kind of take four or five views into account um, there can be people who are a little bit act a bit odd and trying to, uh, you know, cut the legs from under people's progress. So uh, it's just to be important important to be discerning about the advice you might be given. And uh, but but if you're if you if you're open minded to feedback, I think you really just grow faster. So that's the positive side of it. That's the motivational side of it. Yeah, for sure. And when you hit a roadblock on something, how do you deal with it? Yeah, going back to kind of just really um, having self-awareness, I think is really important. Like what might be solving the progress and um, look objectively what you're doing right or wrong. Where has your time and attention been? Um, I think your your process there that you mentioned about reverse engineering and trying to hold yourself to monthly, what do I need to do? Weekly, what do I need to do? That kind of keeps you on track and it's very manageable. It's very doable. It's very sensible. And then you can kind of see in a real easy way. I, I, I don't think there's, there's a need to overcomplicate these things. They could be as simple as an Excel sheet with list of things to be done week yeah. one, two, three, four, five, six. It doesn't have to be something um, really complicated that you're not going to follow. It, it should be something that you are going to follow and having the kind of sense to stop and go it, you know the whole thing from a management perspective where you look look big things in a team you might go well personally what do I need to start doing or stop doing or continue here to make this successful um, and if you don't know maybe in an organization if you're in an organization that's highly political there may be some unsaid or unseen reason why something is stalling maybe you don't have some significant stakeholder on board and then you need to talk to someone more experienced in your organization ask them their opinion of why something might be getting getting blocked up or not getting the support that you see uh, another huge thing as well is like obviously when you're doing big projects is like does your manager care does their boss above care like how important is this to these sort of people because if you don't have, have people in a kind of more higher level really caring about the the project you're trying to deliver it's not going to go as quick or go as well so ideally you'd like a champion at the at the more senior level to to really be um supportive of what you're doing and um you know give that guidance when you get into a hit, hit a roadblock or a barrier definitely What is the best business advice you've ever gotten? Um, yeah, I was talking a little bit there about the, you know, if you don't take risks, you're, you're not going to make much of a difference. Um, and I think another part of following on from that as well, as well is like, don't use the excuse of not being 100% perfect to, to stop you from doing stuff. So like uh, often you yes. could see it for people approaching jobs or taking on different projects to go, well, I don't know all of that. But I think the best people, the people who make it to the top, they know a little bit and then they go with it. They, they go for the promotion, even if they feel they only have 60, 70% of the job description um, kind of nailed down. Um, obviously, it takes time to get to that level of confidence and it won't always work. Sometimes you only have 60% and there's absolute A-grade people who will get in ahead of you and you won't even get an interview. But if you keep trying and, and turning up for enough times into different, uh, the right type of areas where you want to go, 
and you have that sort of uh, inner self-belief or can build that self-belief, it'll get you so far, it'll get you really far. Yeah, totally agree with that. So let's get into some pro tips with you. Um, One of the things that we wanted to discuss was why outlining your career intentions is so important for career planning and the job search. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, just the common thing I would see for people within organizations or other people that would, would coach outside as well is that um, you, if you really, there's so much value in nailing that down at, at an early stage. If you're looking to make a career move to kind of put down on paper, what do you really want? And, um, you know, and right down to the, to the sort of micro level, like what sort of projects would you love to be doing in the next role? Um, almost kind of shaping what your ideal job description would be. And then from that, you can really build all your kind of career portfolio, if you want to call that in terms of your CV and your interview preparation and your, your research into it can all be geared towards an actual defined goal. If you know what the bullseye is, you can really go after it. But often I kind of find is, uh, you know, to use that analogy, people don't even know where the dartboard is in the room. Um, they, if it's too scattered and if you're too, too kind of, um, I'll take anything, nobody really knows how to help you. So when you go networking, people don't really know exactly what you're after. Um, and I think just the, the, the small point there, obviously, that's important is you, it's fine as well if people don't fully know, but at least get it down to certain categories um, sort of weed in things, weed out things and kind of rule things in and out. And then if you hone down into certain areas, at least, you know, there's two or three areas you're after rather than, you know, numerous things that you will never be able to fully research or never really fully want to do. So like what you did, you, at times you tested tested things out for yourself as well. You used the example um, it could take a little while in some cases to test test down a road and see if you really want to do it. Um, but it'd be great if you can do that within a job, you know, as in that you could do things on the side or you could be doing some networking while you're still earning a salary to keep you going. Yeah, for sure. What do you think is like the best approach to networking? Would it be start with your inner circle and acquaintances? Would it be LinkedIn, something else? Yeah, I think it's a combination, like just checking the inner circle first. Um, some of that piece can actually help you as well with somebody who's friendly to you that you do know will ask you some of those searching questions going, well, if I do connect you with this person in Microsoft or Google or wherever, what do you want me to say? What What are you after? So it sort of prompts those first questions with someone you know first, so you're not kind of feeling embarrassed. And then, then when you get that kind of clear in your head, you can go out to people that you don't really know And I think on LinkedIn, the really important thing is, like we said, is the personalized connection requests. So people, that's a real, just a sign of professionalism, really. And people know why you're trying to connect. And some people are kind of wary of connecting randomly. So that just eliminates that, you know, there's a sort of, you can find some common connection. And then it's the getting to a stage of a direct ask. And my experience of it is, is that LinkedIn will get you so far with that, but you may have to kind of go to the level of finding people's emails to ping an email to them. Because as we were saying earlier on, just people are reading their emails much more often. And if they see something where someone has taken the effort to research a little bit about them and, and say, well, I, I noticed that you have achieved X, Y, and Z, or your organization has done X, Y, and Z, and I'd really love to understand more about your career path or the, the, the challenges in the industry at the moment, you'll get a number of people who will come back to you on, on that and want to try to help. Um, and you build from there. Um, is there things that you could share as well with them? Like maybe something from, if you take your example, is in your university course or even with all your knowledge around the podcasting can be quite interesting to people. There'll be different nuggets that you have and seeing yourself of what you can bring to the table. That builds a strong relationship and you, and you kind of build from there. 
and then you will ultimately lead in the path of the person you've connected with will, will suggest well what can I else can I do to help or what would you like me to do next um, and that's one element of it and also a really important thing is if you do get somebody on the phone and get connected with them it's good to ask them going it's great to talk to you and then who else in their industry or their network they would suggest you reach out to so each time you meet somebody on a networking call or or meet them face to face if we get back to that hopefully soon you're you're gaining another breadcrumb another lead from them never at the start expecting um i i definitely will get an interview out of this somehow more so you're kind of looking i will definitely gain and grow and learn from each other and then organically the leads and the interviews and the prospects grow from that maybe even to the level of creating your own job uh, that's not that not not unheard of. Like if if you uh, build your network in the right areas and are really passionate about getting to a certain area, you can get called in for interviews with, with organizations where they don't have a job initially, but they go, oh, I like to look at this person, and we'll create a role for them in our team. That sounds really exciting, actually. Um, the other thing we wanted to discuss was personal branding. Yeah, I suppose um, that's you know we're going down the road of linkedin again is is primarily this kind of route in terms of that's where it's at and being able to show off what you're about and even you could argue for what you're doing yourself in terms of your podcast that's part of your personal branding about taking that leadership and taking that um, emphasis i suppose to go out and do something like that while combining probably two or three other big things like a a, a job and a university course so that's fantastic for your particular your particular personal branding People don't have to go necessarily to that kind of level, but as long as they, I think, look closely at their LinkedIn and try and tailor it to what their market is. So um, if you're saying that you're particularly good at things, put down your achievements of what you're good at, show off what you're, what you're about. Um, join the conversation on LinkedIn because there's a lot of people who watch but then don't feel confident enough maybe to put out their posts or to engage in people's posts. And I think it's really important if you are knowledgeable in a certain area and do follow people that you respect their opinions, it's contribute by commenting on their posts on LinkedIn. That's how another way you'll gain trust of people um, because they'll see who's commented much more readily than just who's liked the post. And you can gain some real friendships and real connections through it. And um, just people in different continents who I know quite well now and really value their opinions and uh, perspectives um, and none of it would be possible without something like LinkedIn so we didn't have that 10 or 15 years ago it's now on our at our fingertips um, and I think the main thing there is is focus time on it because you could get lost kind of scrolling through um, other kind of news feeds and that kind of stuff just reading news for an hour or two or kind of almost wasting time a little bit in social media whereas I think you have to kind of force yourself a little bit to carve out time for LinkedIn to to actually get it, get involved in it each day. Um, it's a good habit to get into because if, if that's if career is important to you, that's where everybody is residing now, really. Yeah, definitely. What does a great CV look like? Yeah, I think we were, we were touching on it earlier on, but it's just that real piece where I, if I'm reading a CV that I know that it's been tailored to the job description that I put out there. So if, if that's coming clearly back to me, then I'm really kind of excited about that, those CVs. And the important thing obviously there is like to not be a complete um, copy and paste of the job description. It needs to be reworded enough into your own words and to show your own achievements that match up. Um, but you, you have to kind of be sensible and look at the what the job description is looking for and try and give it back to the, the company with 
with key achievements that match up and show that you've actually taken a real interest in, in tailoring it and uh, making it applicable to this particular role. If, if you can answer as well some of the obvious things, obvious pain points, obvious questions that they'd want solved um, within the job description in your achievements, in your CV, that's an A+. Plus. You're definitely going to get called for interview if you're, if you're doing that. Excellent. And what about the interview preparation? Yeah, like I think a really important thing on this is that people should almost be preparing for their ideal sort of interviews way in advance, as in um, map out their, their achievements and be able to kind of formulate them into somewhat of a prepared answers. Now, you might argue or people might argue and be, be cynical and go, well, you'd be too robotic when it comes to the day of the interview. But if, you, if you're doing that now, let's say, and you don't even have an interview confirmed and you have your key achievements fleshed out and you know the kind of common competencies that come up in the jobs that you're, you're targeting, you could pick three or four really good job descriptions you've seen of roles you definitely know you'd want and look at the key themes and you'll see commonalities that they all look for certain seven or eight competencies for example skills and then you need to gear your own achievements around those skills so often it takes a number of goes at it so for example i've come across people where i'm coaching them around interview preparation i asked them about a leadership example and it's they're probably their weakest one their weakest example out of 10 things they could tell me and uh, as you do that iteration of going through it and as somebody like me or anybody who's a hiring manager that they know would push them a little bit go hold on a second I know you've done x y and z they're way better leadership examples than what you've just used so if you do this process it takes a bit of time at the start front loaded but it pays off massively because you're almost kind of halfway prepared if the ideal job comes up and a real common thing that comes up a, a lot in the career coaching fields is candidates who say oh, I was so annoyed at myself. My ideal job came up, but it was closing on Friday. It's Monday or Tuesday and I just didn't have time or couldn't get my all my stuff together. And either sometimes they put something in and, you know, it wasn't really that good of an application or they let the date go by and they miss out on their dream job. So almost be prepared in advance for the opportunity to come up. So like um, get prepared now with a view that when the jo- ideal job comes up, you only have a small tweak to do to your CV and to your interview preparation. Exactly. Like we had to do that in college for, I think it was year three. It was working in psychology module where there were, I think, seven key skills that DCU graduates are supposed to have. And they made us literally practice telling a story that demonstrates how we have those skills. And I suppose that's kind of saying that's going back to what you were saying with the interview preparation if you have these stories that you can link to a skill that you can demonstrate conversationally in an interview that'll take a lot of the pressure off and you won't be caught off guard exactly yeah and i think it's just the there's huge learning in that process of actually trying to go through um shaping those stories like the very first time you shape it it's not going to sound that great to be a bit clunky it mightn't be clear what you actually did um sometimes people fall into the trap as well of saying too much in, a, in an answer that we did this and we did that and then you don't really know did i do it? did you do it you know so there needs to be a little bit more i and then obviously there's certain times where you'll need to have a couple of examples about teamwork so then you might be bringing in more of the the we examples but um you often see 
situations where people may not have fleshed it out to the best degree their their answer and then when it comes to interviews time they're not really landing the story that well um it's not kind of joining together so if they've done that advanced preparation you can really iron out all the kinks and then when it comes to the day of actually delivering it you can deliver under pressure because what happens i think is is uh, under the, the kind of lights i suppose when you use that term you, if you've not done the preparation if you don't really know what you're going to say under the different competencies you're thinking kind of um on the fly and that's not not healthy enough or not good enough um you'll, you'll just end up i suppose running into trouble and not delivering the best example and the other thing is we're storytellers people like a good story so the story has to sound interesting like what did you actually do uh, what were the problems overcome and show me the results like people get a bit deflated if you if you're telling something and then it's not really crystal clear how good that was for the organization what you did so it, those sort of things need to be kind of crystal clear like um almost that you ask yourself at the end of each time you prepare an answer so what like was that a big deal am i really convincing them that that was important is that my best example of of that particular competency and often when you do it the first time it's not but then bit by bit you get it there and then you can feel really confident about your your delivery yeah definitely the other thing i would recommend as well is practice interviewing with a friend or practice recording yourself on your phone and just see how you come across and if you find places that you're stumbling or not doing so well you can kind of tweak that as you go but it's like we have so much amazing technology available to us to kind of help us reflect back on ourselves and raise our awareness of how we come across so use these tools yeah totally like uh you know some people that they really you know if you're really interested in your career and uh kind of know that there's maybe an achilles heel there in terms of interviews as much as it's kind of a bit cringy to to maybe put yourself in the spotlight i've heard of examples really effectively where somebody has got two or three friends together and done a, a, a almost a mock interview walked in the whole yeah. shebang um let them grill them literally uh, to expose the, the weaknesses um, and then that's it. And now when it comes to, to game day, you can really deliver. Like, look, this is what top level performers do in sports and entertainment, everything. You don't just rock up to the Super Bowl and deliver the performance uh, or, you know, half time in entertainment or to the World Cup final without putting in the hard yards and the training. It's absolutely no different in your career. And there's no real kind of um, shortcut for, for us in order than a bit of hard work in terms of um, going through these things. That's where the people who are really successful at us are there's no fakery or kind of gimmicks it's just um really honing in on what what you're good about good about you and making it very compelling for the role that you're going for yeah that's exactly right and i have one final question for you what do you know now that you wish you knew when you were first starting out in your career yeah i suppose there's a number of different things is like um just having a, a good sense of like who who may be kind of supportive of, of you who may be kind of um again going against you and why that might be often it's not that personal to you it's just people are kind of um without being too cynical one of the things that would kind of be a truism is that people aren't for or against you they're just generally for themselves so just knowing that that's happening all the way around for different people they aren't necessarily always trying to just get at you because it's you it's more because you know it might not suit them for some reason now that might need a little bit of influencing to for them to understand of what you're trying to do might be beneficial to them or that they can step aside or step out of the way but again it's like everything else like we said at the start of the conversation just a huge powerful factor of listening and trying to get into the shoes of the other person and not just steamrolling through with something because the one thing you can be sure of is if you go like a bull in the china shop and blast your way through something 
you might get through one one day, but ten other days people will be going against you behind your back and uh, scuppering you at different different ways. So you can think you're the kind of um, you know the big man about town and um, bustling your way through on things, but all the while you've everybody looking at you, kind of um, only waiting to get you back. So I think a really important thing is just that that building bridges, building um, connections with people in a really kind of meaningful way, not a kind of fake way, but it's just if you can be mutually trying to beneficial. You'll understand then when people come and say to you, yeah, that's a great idea that you're trying to do, but they might be stressed about four or five other things. And if you listen to them about that and help them with one of those things or some of those things, then they would back you on the thing that you want done. So, you know, you just have to bear that in mind that um, we all have our different paths that we're doing and you can't just kind of fly through like um, on your own in a bubble and not realize that you've other people to bring along with you. So I suppose I naturally would have kind of had a lot of that kind of awareness drummed into me from just I don't know upbringing it wasn't as if it was like uh, didn't have to realize this but one thing that's kind of important is that you're looking at the world from your set of, of viewpoint you think the, the thing you're trying to do is right but not everybody obviously is in your head understanding where you're coming from or seeing that as the priority so it's useless as well trying to do stuff if your manager for example or somebody important and pivotal in the organization isn't backing you to do something or on your side if, if you don't have that support around you you know you do have to go around and kind of build that uh, coalition if you want to call it that um to actually get things done yeah and one other just small add-on to that is like you know don't let the fear of failure get in the way of going after your your dreams going after what you want um, you know, I think the whole purpose of being here, I suppose, is to kind of fight through different barriers to learn um, and you know, the things that you really kind of in, in your good instinct feel that, that you sh- that should be done or you're, you're, you're meant to kind of be here to do. Uh, go after them, go after them really hard to try and do them. And if you run up against barriers, maybe that's just the world's way of showing you that you have to try a little bit harder here. And the things that you try harder with and the things that you really climb that mountain on, they're the hugely satisfying things in life, I think. So that's actually just part of the journey i think um is like when you come up against certain things it's like but you know in yourself heart to hearts that that's your real area where you could be effective but you're hitting little, little barriers along the way but if you truly believe that's the right thing that you should be doing and you're pretty convinced it'll be beneficial for different people or for yourself for some important reason keep keep pushing at it keep keep going for us keep striving for it That is some fantastic advice. Philip, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast and giving us some really great career and interview advice. And thank you everyone for listening. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and share your favorite episodes and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Anchor, or wherever you hear your podcasts and recommend the show to friends that you think will enjoy it. Until the next time, ciao. Thanks. Thanks.